Well, as you can gather, we are um, still thinking about Christmas. Uh, the, even though it's the, the beginning of the new year, I wanted to kind of close out our Christmas meditations by seeing what happened after Christmas. And so with that in mind, I think of the Magi who arrived, or the wise men who arrived after uh, the birth of Christ. And so we're going to look at them and see what lessons we can glean uh, from the wise men at Christmas. And the, the passage that would involve is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now, if you notice carefully in the bulletin, it says Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. And the outline carefully follows that. That's how I wrote it. Uh, I'd throw those little things in just to see if you're paying attention. <laughs> really a question if whether I was paying attention when I did that. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible as I read. Now after Jesus was born at Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard of this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced in exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's walk through this passage and see what we can glean from this time. We're told after, it was after Jesus was born. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. So, again, this follows the birth of Christ. We're not told how much it follows, but there may be some clue. Because, you know, Herod, we saw, will, will ask the, the, the wise men, when did you see his star? Later on, Herod will say he wants every child two and under killed in Bethlehem. So that, and that's based on when they told him they saw the star. So that tells us that Jesus could be possibly as old as two years old. Um, knowing Herod and his viciousness and, and, and how he was so careful to stop any threat to his throne, he probably, if he thought Jesus was two, he would have said everyone three and under. So somewhere... This is probably as much as a year after the birth of Christ. Uh, but also, Matthew tells us these things in an interesting way. He tells us this was when, in the days of Herod the king, in Bethlehem of Judea. Matthew there is, is helping us see some important things. The Bible 
is, is a historical book. The Christian faith is a historical faith. It's built on realities, things that actually have happened, people that actually lived in places that actually exist. So it's not this, uh, uh, this, this kind of a legend that's supposed to teach us uh, morality or principles like that. These are actual people in actual places of history. And so here we're told who Herod was. He was the king of the Jews. Uh, he was called the king of the Jews by Rome. They appointed him with that title in 37 B.C. And he reigned from 37 B.C. until his death in 4 B.C. So that tells us a time frame when Jesus was born. That tells us under whose reign he was born. Herod, king of the Jews. Again, under Rome. And we're told where he was born. Bethlehem. And again, we can get on a jet, fly over to Israel, grab a bus or a taxi, and, and, and we can go to Bethlehem. So it's an actual place, actual people. And I, I emphasize that, that these are not just legends like uh, you know, some of the ancient religions will have, all these, these stories that will tell about the gods doing this and that, uh, maybe to teach some principles. These are actual events. In fact, Jesus, Paul will say later on in 1 Corinthians, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then the Christian faith is empty. So it's, it's historically verifiable, it's historically accurate, and it's a historical basis of what we believe. Matthew, uh, again, gives us uh, some help when he tells about when this happened in that, the, you know, the, the attack on the children when they were two years old. And that fits with Herod's character. We've talked about that. He was an incredibly vicious man. And the most dangerous place you could be is on the list of his suspects for those who would threaten his, his reign. If he thought that you posed any possible threat to his throne, you would die. And that included his own wife, his own family members, his own sons. And so his, this, when they say he came, they, this is during the reign of Herod, that's a, that's a scary thing. That's a threatening thing. We're told wise men came from the east. And I think I've already used the word magi. That's the, the Greek word here is magos. Uh, magi is another way of saying the plural there. Uh, wise men. Well, well, who are they? And we, we hear wise men and we think they're just some people who, who are smart. It's more, of a, it's more of a technical term. It was used in the ancient world. And it was used of those who were the court counselors in, in, in Babylon and in ancient Persia. In fact, we see in Daniel chapter 2, remember Daniel was taken from Israel as a captive. He was raised up and trained to be one of the court counselors. In Daniel chapter 2, we see that some of the court counselors are called in, uh, magi. Uh, so, so that tells me something. These men probably came, I think, from Babylon, possibly from Persia. That's east. So the song's right there. They came from the east. Uh, they're wise men. Uh, and they came from the east. We don't know how many there are. Look carefully. It says, wise men came from the east. So first of all, notice it doesn't say they're kings. The magi were counselors to the king. So they were high court officials. Um, but it doesn't say there were three. Where do we get that? Well, because three different gifts are mentioned. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
But so the legend built on, there are only three, they're kings, and, um, and, we're, and, and so we don't know how many. And, and the picture of the three camels, it's great. And, and if you use that in your Christmas card, great. But that's probably not at all what it looked like. You know, can high court officials don't travel by themselves. The last thing you would do is take three of your high court officials, put them on camels, and send them hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles. And so probably there would have been quite a retinue. Servants, they didn't feed their own camels, I can guarantee you. Uh, uh, Guardians. So, So in other words, this would have been, when they showed up in Jerusalem, it isn't like somehow we kind of picture, maybe put it in modern day, three guys get out of a taxi cab and start ta- wandering through town. Uh, this was noticeable. Here came an armed retinue. Here came uh, high f- officials. This is kind of like when Air Force Six or whatever, <laughs> when, when our official jet arrives and here comes our diplomat. That's kind of the thing. Um, this is significant. Um, we're told that they saw a star in the east. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews, they came. For he's seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. They saw a star in the east. What does that mean? Again, if you pay much attention, you've heard what it means. Problem is, you've heard four or five different answers of what it means. Um, some suggest it was a comet. There was a comet that was, I don't know, 11 B.C. or something that some people say that may have been what they saw. Uh, some suggest it's a, a, it's a convergence of, of some different uh, planets in the sky. Back in um, 1630, or he died in 1630, uh, Kepler said that in the year uh, 7 B.C., there was a convergence of um, Jupiter and Saturn. And, 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 and so a lot of people say, well, these, it kind of got really bright there, and that looked like a star, and they called that a star. Here's a couple problems. They came together, but not exactly touching. Um, they were about as far apart as maybe if you took two moons and put them between there. Not, not exactly touching and bright. Um, and there's no evidence in the ancient world that they ever called, you know, when those kind of things, a star. The star, by the way, to them basically meant a bright body in the sky. Well, we could talk around it, but my best guess is that this bright thing they saw in the sky that led them was the Shekinah glory of God. And what's really interesting is why it can't be a star. Okay, they saw it in the east. They came to Bethlehem. It doesn't say that they followed it the whole way. You may have to... If you got that in a Christmas card, take a black marker and mark out the star. They, in other words, they saw it in the east. That told them a king is born. But they don't see it again until they leave Herod in Jerusalem. And then what's interesting is the star goes before them. I know it's the first day of the year and you were probably up late playing Uno or Dominoes or something last night. Um... Stay with me. Think about the planets and stars. They usually move in what direction? The sun rises in the east and moves to the west. Stars move east to west. Jerusalem to Bethlehem, that's north to south. Stars don't do that. 
And so I, I think the best understanding is this is the Shekinah glory of God. And that same bright glory is what led Israel through the wilderness. Now how they saw that and knew that that meant a king was born, I don't know. We're not told. There's a lot we're not told. But somehow they were convinced of that. And I'll say one other thing. Notice they say, um, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Remember I said the counselors in, in the court with Daniel were called magi, wise men? Daniel gave us prophecy of the coming Messiah and his kingdom. He gave a lot of prophetic information. And so, and he, he wasn't shy about telling it. And he was, you know, he gave, and he interpreted royal dreams explaining what was happening. So I think what, what happened was there was a, a remnant of his thinking. His teaching continued 500 years later. The Jews are expecting a king who will rule the world. In fact, um, let, me, let me read a couple quotes to you. Uh, Suetonius, who was a couple of Roman historians, a guy named Suetonius said this, there had spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Here was a Roman historian saying, there's an ancient tradition, the Jews are going to rule the world. Another, Tacitus, said this, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire universal empire. So what am I saying is those magi knew what Daniel had taught. They saw the star and said, here it is. Here comes the promised Jewish king, which means he's the greatest king of all. Let's go see him. Well, so they, what, like I said, they saw the star back in Babylon. They, the king of the Jews is born. So what do we do now? Let's go see him. Where do we go? Well, where is the king born? In the capital. The British royalty have been in the news a lot lately. With the passing of the queen and, and the um, soap opera going on with some of the family. Um, but, but here's something that kind of gives us a perspective. When, when, when a child is born to the king, it is big news, especially when it's a boy who could be the heir. I mean, everybody talks about it. And you think about, I think one of the greatest television events in recent history, 25 years ago or so, was the wedding of Diana. Everybody, everybody watched it. And the, coronation, the, the, the funeral of the queen, everybody watched it. But here's the point. If the king is born, where do you go expect to see him? You know, they didn't go to Paris. They, you wouldn't go to Paris if the king of England is born. You go, to, you go to London. And so they showed up in Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews, and say, where's your king? Can you imagine their shock when everyone's saying, what, who, what king? Because they expected, you know, fireworks are going off. The streets are full of people cheering. You saw the crowds in some of the royal events recently. So imagine how stunned we, they were. They just assumed. They arrive and people would say, oh, yeah, yeah, go over here. That's where the, the palace is. But everyone was saying, what are you talking about? Eventually, they got to Herod. When Herod heard, the, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. As I said, um, 
Herod, the, the, the most dangerous thing you could be was a threat to his throne. In fact, Caesar said, I'd rather be his pig or his, his pig than his son. A pig is the word in Greek, hus. The word son is huios. So he's kind of a play on words. Uh, the pig's going to live longer than his son. I mean, he, he was killing off family members that he thought were a threat. He was a vicious, vicious man. And now these men, and they're not nobodies, royal officials declaring the, the king of the Jews has been born. And literally the Greek is, where's the born king? That was the greatest threat of all to him. Because he was an appointed king. He served at Rome's pleasure. Now he hears that a legitimately born king, a legitimate heir to the throne has arrived. And we're told he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. That kind of reminds me of the Bible verse, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> there was probably a motto in, in, on refrigerator magnets in, in, in Israel. If Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And if Herod's mad, ain't nobody safe. And so when they, so they knew what this meant, they, that this was going to be, you know, Herod was in a rage, and so Jerusalem was trembling. Who knows where this might lead? And, and Herod's response is amazing. He wants him. He, he, he's a threat. He's a born king. Uh, Mr. Spurgeon said this, a very singular thing is this, that Jesus Christ was said to have been born king of the Jews. Very few have ever been born king. Men are born princes, but they are seldom born kings. I do not think you can find an instance in history when any infant was born king. He was the prince of Wales, perhaps, and he had a wait of number of years until his father died. And then they manufactured him into a king by putting a crown on his head and other things. So here's his point. You aren't born king. You're born a prince that eventually becomes king. But now with Jesus, he was born king. Well, verses 4, 5, and 6 tell us then what would happen. Herod gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod gathered his religious scholars, the chief priests, the scribes. Uh, he gathered them together and said, Where is Messiah to be born? Why did he ask that? Because when these men came... It was he was thoroughly convinced that they were right. Messiah, the Christ, the promised king and deliverer of Israel has been born. And so he went to the scholars and said, where? Where would that be? And they opened up Micah chapter 5 and said, Bethlehem. And so in verse 7, Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. Now, Herod but was, was ish, vicious, terribly paranoid, but he was very smart. 
He was a very effective warrior and an incredible politician. Um, one of my favorite stories about an evil man, Herod, was when, um, how he came to become king. You've heard of Anthony and Cleopatra? That was in the days of Herod. And, and Herod aligned himself with Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony was his mentor and his protector, and, his, and, and he was faithful to him. Well, Anthony went to battle against the, the uh, Roman, his, his partner, or the, the, the Roman government had been put in two hands, Mark Anthony and Octavius. So Anthony went to war against Octavius. Actually, Herod wanted to join him in the battle, but he, then he had, a, he had a threat from the east, and so he couldn't help him. Short, to shorten the story, Octavius defeated Mark Anthony, and so that's why you know, he and Cleopatra took their lives back in Egypt. Now Octavius, who hated Mark Anthony, is king, and Herod was a friend of Mark Anthony. What do you do in a case like that? A lot of people say, run, and Herod did straight to the king. And his strategy was this. He said, you know, you know how faithful I was to Mark Anthony. In fact, I sent him some help to fight you, and I was ready to fight with him, but I had these other problems, or I would have fought against you. But here's what you should notice. I am a very faithful friend. And just as I was faithful to Mark Anthony, I'll be faithful to you. It was risky. But Octavius bought it and appointed him king of the Jews. But that's how smart a politician he was. And so now he smartly starts putting things together. Okay, we know Messiah is born. We know from the Bible, he believed the Bible would be right. We know where he was born. And then finally, when was he born? He got them together and said, when did you see the star? So now he had a sense. What are we dealing with? When was he born? And so later, because of that, he will call for the murder of every child, every boy, two and under, in Bethlehem. And again, that fits his character. And so he said, you go to Bethlehem, and notice what he said about that. Um, he, you go to Bethlehem. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, by the way, the, worst, the, the Magi said they came to worship the king. And so do, do we understand that they know he's God? I don't necessarily think so. That word worship basically means to kiss toward. You might remember in Psalm 2, the Gentiles are told to kiss the son. You know, it's kind of like you see this sometimes, especially it seems like in the church and others where in some Catholic church where they'll kiss a ring or kiss the foot of the Pope. That's the idea. You would come and show your... Uh, your honor of the king by kissing his hand or his feet. So the worship is to fall before the king. They've come to honor the king, and Herod says he wants to do the very same thing. By the way, there's an application here. You can't always believe what a politician tells you. <laughs> Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So again, they hadn't seen the star since back east. Herod says go to Bethlehem. And so just as they knew they were to go to Jerusalem, now they know they're supposed to go to Bethlehem. But suddenly that, that Shekinah glory appears to guide the way. Now I'm going to step in and I'm going to, I want to just muddy the waters just for a minute. 
Back when in the other passages I said, what happened? Remember, Luke tells us Jesus was born at 40 days or more, but at least 40 days later, they had to go to the temple to offer a purification sacrifice for Mary. And the, remember, the sacrifice was a poverty sacrifice, which means the, the, the wise men hadn't arrived with their lavish gifts yet. And then Luke says, and then they went back to Nazareth. So did, is, is Luke saying they went straight from the temple back to Nazareth? Or does Luke do what often biblical narrative does? Uh, if it's not essential, just skip over the details. And, and frankly, that's such a merciful thing to do. Have you ever had someone try and tell you every detail? I just asked you. What time is it? <laughs> All I want to know. And so, so, so he's saying, that's not essential, so I'll just go, they just went to Nazareth. So he may have said, I'm not, just not going to mention it, or he may say they went straight to Nazareth. And if that's the case, then the Magi went to Nazareth. Because you'll notice it doesn't say where they went, except that they followed the star to the home of the child. So either they went north or they went south. Okay. Perhaps to Bethlehem. But there they went, guided by the Shekinah glory. Then verses 10 and 11, we, we, they're guided to the child in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. That's very strong language. That exceedingly has the idea of just this violent reaction. You know, have you ever, you know, joy that you just can't control yourself. Especially you see that sometimes in a, in a young child, they just get so excited they can't hold still. They're just, that, that's, that, that, these, these wise court officials, that's their excitement when they saw the star again. That mean, we, are, we are on track. Verse 11, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Notice they came into the house like I said, it's been, it's been at least 40 days, maybe months. So they're out of the stable and in a house, either a house in Bethlehem or a house in Nazareth. But, but now they're in a house. But either way, I can assure you, it's a humble place. And these, are, these men are, are used to seeing the, the riches of the East. Can you imagine as they followed that Shekinah glory straight to that home, they were probably looking at each other, this can't be the place. The king of the Jews, the savior of the world, here, but there's, the, there's that glory. So you can, I just, you, know, you, you can just see the looks they were giving each other as they went in. And when they saw, we're told, they came in and they saw the young child and Mary his mother. Now, Joseph may have been there as well. You know, he's still on the scene because he's, after they leave, then he's going to end up taking them to Egypt. But they saw Mary and the child. But notice what it says. They fell down and worshipped him. Not them. I think that's significant. You know, some want to say worship Mary. The wise men knew better. They worshipped Jesus. He was the center of attention. Uh, I have in my notes here a picture uh, painted by Rembrandt. It's not the original. Um, but, you know, he was a master of using light and dark. And sometimes it's a little annoying because the, the paintings are so dark you can't barely see the other figures. And that's his point. They don't matter. And so here's, here's a picture with the, uh, with the shepherds. Uh, and one of them is holding a lantern that doesn't give out a lot of light. 
Um, and, and, but then there's the baby Jesus in the manger. And, and, and he is giving out light that reflects off those around him. And what, so what Rembrandt is saying is, there's several people in this picture, but there's one in particular you need to notice. It's Jesus. And that's what the Magi are thinking when they come into that scene. There's Mary, but they fall before Jesus. And they honor him as a king. And Matthew is using language that tells us, and by the way, that honor is perfectly appropriate for God himself. They, they worshiped as the king of kings and lord of lords. And they offered gifts. That's what you do when you visit a king. You bring a gift, a, a gift worthy of the king. And sometimes if you're visiting a friend, you might bring a sack of oranges that you thought were really tasty. That's not what you bring to a king. You bring gifts a king would appreciate. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. By the way, it says they opened uh, their treasures. Uh, I'm going to give you another Greek word, but it's so, it's so important. That's not important, but I just like this word here for treasures. It's the Greek word thesaurus. Have you heard that word before? You know, a thesaurus is a book that's, that's a treasury of diverse words. But the word thesaurus means it's, it's a treasury. It's a collection of treasures. Um, of course, we're in a different world now. You just type into your device synonyms and you don't even think of it as a thesaurus. But anyway, they opened their thesaurus, their treasury, and out they pulled out gold and frankincense and myrrh. And as our song said, many see the symbolism of that. Gold worthy of a king, a frankincense, incense was what you was used in, in worship. You burnt incense to a god. And myrrh was used in burial. And so many see this as prophetic of the life of Jesus. He is king, he is God, and he has come to die. That might be reading too much into the text, but it will preach. <laughs> and you could make a great hymn out of it. Whether they intended in that way, because these would be typical. A perfume is an expensive gift. Uh, and so these were things that were very expensive treasures imported treasures worthy of a king. I will say it's interesting, one thing about incense. In, in the biblical worship, it was, only, it was never used in a sin offering. It was never associated with sin. And so it's appropriate that it's brought as a gift to the sinless one. And, and he is to be worshipped. So the wise men came and they brought their, their gifts worthy of a king, worthy of God. And then we're told in verse 12, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So once again, divine direction. And if you read through Luke, you see all kinds of divine revelation. But here God is guiding them. Don't go back to Herod. One, it might speed up his hunt for Jesus not before he could get out of town. But secondly, it might put them at risk. And so he says, don't go back to Herod. And so they, they took another route. And that bought time for the family and bought safety for them. This is the story of the Magi. This, and when I say story, I don't mean mythical legend. I mean story like a newspaper story. This is the account, the narrative of what happened in history with the birth of Christ and, and how the, the wise men came. And the gifts they brought honored him, but also they funded the trip to Egypt and funded their stay there for however long that was, at least until after Herod had died. 
But what lessons can we learn? Mr. Spurgeon said this, those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their substance to him. That's a picture of the Magi. If you seek Jesus, you will find him. And when you find him, if you truly find him, you will worship him with all that you are and all that you have. You'll hand him your thesaurus. But notice also, what a, as we look at these characters, what an indictment on Herod. We already know he's, a, he's called Herod the Great because he was a great builder king, like uh, Julius Caesar and like Ramses II or Nebuchadnezzar. Great buildings, and we can't get into all that. But he was not great in terms of his moral and personal character. What an indictment. Do you see what he did? He thoroughly believed that Messiah had come. And what was his response? He sought to kill him. He was more interested in saving his throne, one person has said, than in saving his own soul. We may, may not be quite as violent and, and wicked in our uh, in actions as Herod, but we know we can do that too. Sometimes in our response, when, when we know what God's will and way is, we just say, I'm not going there. And we rebel against it, we reject it, we try to stifle it. We, we try to defeat that, that direction in our life instead of saying, Lord, if that's your direction, that's the one I want. But Herod, instead of saying, Lord, if, if, if this is your king, then I want to be the first to bow before him. He was, was, don't you dare interrupt my plan. At least he was honest and direct about his intentions. But what a contrast. Um, this was in the newspaper, in the Daily News in England in 1903, and no, I wasn't there to read it. <laughs> On one occasion, one of Queen Victoria's chaplains, in preaching before her at Windsor, had made the second advent, the return of Christ, as the subject of his discourse. After the service, the queen, always a most attentive listener, spoke to him on the topic which he had chosen and said, Oh, how I wish that the Lord might come during my lifetime. The chaplain asked, Why does your majesty feel this very earnest desire? And the queen replied with quivering lips and her whole countenance lighted by deep emotion, I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. She's no Herod, is she? That's the response of a woman of faith who would thrill to surrender to Jesus. And that's the challenge for us. May we run from the, the spirit of a Herod that says, No, I know what your word says, but I'm not doing it to, Wow, if that's your word, here I am. Give me grace. It's an indictment on Herod. It's an indictment on these religious scholars. I'm always amazed at these guys. They knew their scripture. Where's Messiah to be born? Micah 5. And they quote it. They, they even bring in some other scripture with it. But they've heard about the wise men coming saying the king is here. They hear from Herod. It's got to be Messiah. They have a nice little Bible study with him. And then what do they do? They go back home. And since it was kind of Christmassy time, they drank apple cider or eggnog. And said, well, what should they have done? Uh, Your Majesty, you'll, you'll, that's Bethlehem. And if you follow us, we're heading there right now. One, so, so 
Herod was aggressively anti and, and attacking of Christ, they are noteworthy for their passivity. And again, we could do the same thing. We can go to a Bible study, our personal Bible study, or our Wednesday night study, or group study, or just our, per, you know, listening to the sermon. We can hear the truth, believe it, and then walk, walk away unchanged instead of challenged and quick and hungry to obey. We should be like those magi. We should follow the star. We should see God's direction and chase after it with all that we are and with an exceeding great joy surrender ourselves to his will. If you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the message for you. Don't be a Herod. No way, Jose. I'm not going there. Uh, don't be like these priests and, and, and scholars. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably true. Uh, but I'm not interested. Be like the Magi. God's promise is fulfilled. I want to know him. No one who seeks him will be disappointed. And those who find him will be delighted to surrender all they are and have to him. Matthew finally is showing us that Jesus is king. He starts off the book. He's the Messiah. I want you to know that. And all through. And here he's showing us the promised Messiah by the way of the coming of the Gentiles. They know, these men know kings. They work with them. They serve them. They're the example for us. They followed the truth where it led them. Too often we follow the truth until it becomes troubling and then we take a quick left turn. They followed the truth where it led them and they surrendered to it. When they saw Christ, they fell in worship. May we not be like Herod, who was the king of the Jews, or like these great Bible students who could quote the scriptures right and left, but it made no difference to them. May we be like the Magi. Just show me Jesus so I can bow before him and give him my all and serve him with all my heart. As we begin a new year, isn't that a great challenge? May God give us the grace to be like those Magi. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace and mercy in him. Father, thank you for sending him into this world, and we look forward to his return. But Father, may we have the heart of the Magi, thrilled to know and serve him. I pray it in Jesus' name.